It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And this is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, February 11th, 2010. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me across the table tonight. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight for the Virtual Bible Study. It is good to be with you, and it's good to be with you on your computer tonight. We're glad that you're part of the program, and we look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com, as we discuss an article that, to begin the program tonight that really prompted a discussion of uh, isolationism, as it is called by some. Yeah, uh, it's, it's sort of the idea... Can we just agree to disagree with others in the religious world and just sort of throw in together and, and cooperate? Focus and on our uh, life sim- and our similarities. similarities. Yeah, and and disregard our differences and just sort of all be one happy bunch. Or should we question what uh, what we're doing and what everyone's doing? Make sure we're accurate to the Word of God. The the article that we had in mind we have posted. Well, we haven't posted it. We sent it out in an email. You've also got it up in the chat room window, Jacob. Uh, if if others, if you're listening and you have not seen that article, it was in the Nashville, Tennessee, and I believe a week ago Sunday. I think so. And uh, you can find that in our chat room. If you're not in the chat room tonight, follow the instructions on your screen. Click on the menu button at the bottom of the video feed if you're watching our video stream. And go to the show page if you're not there already on Ustream.tv and join in the chat room. Uh, there are several listeners out there now you can join in the listening with, and you can also find the link to that article in the chat room. Uh, we're going to be making reference to that uh, as we start our program. Uh, as you said, Jacob, our subject tonight is basically the idea of is it right to judge what others are doing religiously? Are we? Is it right to do that, or should we just say everybody's okay, I'm okay, you're okay, we'll all be okay? And then... Uh, toward the end of the program, we want to ask the question because as members of the Church of Christ, we get asked this question often. I, I, I suppose everybody might get, whether you're a member of the Church of Christ or some other religious organization, you might get this question. Do you think that your group is the only one going to heaven? What's the right response when we're questioned that way? We want to talk about that. Those are the two questions that we hope to deal with. Jacob, I think you've already given them our contact info. It is scrolling across your screen, questions at collegeview.com or 877-381-4567. It's toll-free. We pay the bill. So give us a call on the phone. You know, you're, you may not type very fast, but you can certainly get your comments uh, known over the phone, and we'd like to hear from you on the program over the phone or over email tonight. We're not going to take time to read this whole pro, this whole uh, article on the program tonight, but just make a few references. This, again, was in the Nash, Nashville, Tennessee, and, and I believe it was a a week ago last Sunday, so that would have been the the last Sunday, 31st of the January. The 31st it was. Of January, I believe. Yeah, in fact, I see it now. And now that I said that, I see it on the, on, on the article that I've printed off. Uh, it's, the title is Churches of Christ Drop Isolationist View Work with Other Faiths. 
And it starts out by referencing a fellow named Doug Sanders. It says, when he was growing up, Doug Sanders learned there were two kinds of people in the world, those who belonged to the a cappella churches of Christ who were going to heaven and those who didn't and were going to hell. In the Church of Christ, we had all the answers, says Sanders, who is the associate minister of the Otter Creek Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. And he says, if we had the answers, that meant everyone else didn't. It's kind of embarrassing to admit it, but that's the way it was. And so from the very opening paragraph of this article, and again, we won't take time to read it all, but from the opening paragraph, Jacob, you get the idea that he he used to feel that way. That that there was a right way and a wrong way, and he was in the right, and those who weren't in the right were in the wrong, and you know. And now he says, "I'm embarrassed to even admit that I felt that way." You need to go on to the the next paragraph because it is really it almost sounds like you should be ashamed of what you believe and thinking it is right. Notice that since the late 1800s, Churches of Christ, one of Tennessee's largest faith groups, have believed their approach to church, singing without instruments in worship, interpreting the Bible literally, taking communion a weekly, and banning women from church leadership was God's way, the audacity of you thinking that you're doing something the way God wants you to do. Yeah. And and then later in the program, uh, it says, for the Otter Creek Church of Christ, that isolationist approach to ministry doesn't make sense anymore. Over the past two years, Sanders has worked with Baptist, Methodist, and, uh, and he welcomed them and said he was glad for their help. He believes that cooperating with other faiths uh, makes sense. So that's that's the article that's been out there for a while. Some of you have contacted us about the article and suggested maybe we comment about it. And I think that that uh, the comment, you know, on the website of the Nashville Tennessean, as many newspapers do, at, after an article has posted, then there's a comment section. They got overflowed with comments and on one this of the most, article. One of the most commented articles on their website. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I, I found this one, you know, this is not a shock. Otter Creek has made other changes. The church is a cappella only on Sunday mornings. At other times, the church, uh, such as Wednesday nights and uh, Sunday nights, uh, instruments are used. Uh, the congregation also holds a Vesper service on Wednesday night with chanting and a liturg- liturgical communion service. So they have communion on Wednesday nights now. Okay. Yeah. So not a, not a shock with that with that view of yeah. things. Um, again, we won't take time to read all of this. It's interesting. You can you can access it by getting in the chat room and following the link there. It was the link was in our email we sent to our update list earlier today. And as always, we tell you you can get on that update list if you're not by going to by sending us an email to college questions at collegeview.com. Any of you who used to be on the list and are not getting those updates, check your spam filter. We're finding some people are getting that uh, shuffled out by their spam filter. So check in your spam folder to see if we're there and see if you can clear that. There was some interesting statistics, Jabe, just as a side note. Uh, the article says there are 258 churches of Christ in the Nashville area. Statewide, state of Tennessee, there are 1,443 congregations with 166,000 302 members and 302 down uh, yeah they got it down to two and nationwide there are 12,629 churches of christ with a total of 1,224,404 members 404 yeah um interesting to know where they got those numbers yeah uh all right uh and and we might note that we did contact the, the gentleman who was listed in the uh doug sanders doug sanders who was listed in the article asked him to join us on the program tonight he declined 
I want to read what he said, Jacob. Uh, I copied the email that he sent back after you invited him to to speak in person with us. We wanted to talk with him. Uh, we wanted to get his point of view and let him explain what his thinking is. He he declined the invitation. Here's what he said: We are honored that you would want to interview us on the article from the Tennessean. However, at this time, we would prefer not to talk any more about the article. It makes me think they have had to talk about it a lot. Otter Creek will continue to reach out in service to our church family and the Nashville community in ways that we believe bring honor to the name of Jesus. You are certainly welcome to talk with those we serve as well as other congregations with whom we serve. They can be reached on the streets at Tent City, which is a place in Nashville where the homeless hang out, in prisons and at the hospitals. Uh, So he declined our invitation. I thought it was a little bit interesting. I'm not again. I'm not surprised by this, but somewhat interesting that Doug Sanders and the folks at Otter Creek want to be very open to people in other denominations and other churches, but they don't want to be open with us. They don't want to have. They don't want to have an interchange with us. They don't want to have a free and open exchange of, of ideas and study from the Bible. And that's that's disappointing. I got to say that's really disappointing that you know. Uh, Given the opportunity to explain what they mean and why, they decline that opportunity. To others, we're trying to be sincere here. We're not. We're not just. We weren't. Know. We weren't inviting them to a slugfest or a That's kind right. of fight. We just wanted to talk. And uh, so, all right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview dot com. What do you think about uh, the idea that we need to be more inclusive and less? of an isolationist or do you think we are isolationists what do you think the scriptures teach us about our relationship with those that we may disagree with religiously let us know your thoughts join in on the phone or over email tonight let's start out by talking about the idea of whether or not we can judge anybody about anything jacob uh is is it is it allowed uh is it condemned in the scriptures what should be our view of judging anything or anybody and I would start our, our discussion out, Jacob, with a reference to what Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 24, when he said, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgments. And I, I think that that statement clearly indicates that we have to make judgments. It's a command. It's a command. Judge righteous judgments. And, and so it is a necessary thing. We have to make judgments. Uh Probably one one of the verses that's been most misused along this line is Matthew chapter seven verse one: "Judge not that you be not judged." But actually, if you study that context, Jacob, that that the context of that misused statement actually says we should judge, but do it the right way. And he's saying don't judge in a way that you wouldn't want to be judged yourself. And people are guilty of that. We don't need to focus on what this, the the passage is not teaching so much that we disregard what it is teaching. It's saying be careful how you judge. Yeah. But it goes on to say, why beholdest thou, this is verse 3 of Matthew 7, why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. The, the picture Jesus paints there is, is really a... a a, a very vivid one. Here's a guy with a beam hanging out of his eye, literally a big board sticking out of his eye, and he's trying to get a speck out of his brother's eye. 
Jesus said, get the beam out of your eye, then you will see clearly to get the speck out of your brother's eye. He said it's not wrong to try and help get that speck out of your brother's eye. You should do that. But just make sure you've taken care of your own your own problems first. Don't be hypocritical. Don't, in hypocrisy, try to judge someone else when you've got huge issues you haven't even addressed. But he is not, even in that text, in Matthew 7, that is so often misused, Matthew 7, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. Jesus, in the very context, was saying, yeah, you can judge. Just do it the right way. Yeah, do two types of judging. Judge yourself first and then judge others after you've corrected your problems. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. There's a wrong way to judge, as we've just said. And John 7, 24, where we started out, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgments. The New International Version says, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. And so we we have to do it right. And we've uh, probably all been guilty of judging on appearances at times. We've got to be careful of that. And, uh, and but we do need to make judgments. Just do it in the right way. I, I think if we if we study the scriptures, we find out that there's a right way to judge others. It involves having a right attitude. In Galatians chapter six verse one, Paul said, "Brethren, if a, a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted." So here's a, here's a, here's someone who's overtaken in a fault. What am I supposed to do? Well, don't judge him. Don't and therefore, since you can't judge him, you can't do anything. No, I judge that he is overtaken in his fault, mm-hmm. and I'm to go to him and restore him. But I've got to do it in a spirit of meekness. I got to have the right attitude as I approach him. So again, the text is not. Here's another Bible text that is not forbidding judgment. It's actually encouraging the judgment, but to do it with the right attitude. Absolutely right. We've got to have the right attitude, and uh, closely related to that, we also need to have the right motive. And I think a lot of times people want to judge so that they can destroy someone rather than judging to help them be more like God would have them to be. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. James 5, beginning verse 19, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that which, he, which converteth the sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Again, that text presupposes that you will be making a, a judgment. Uh, here's here's a man in error. What's what's my purpose in going to him so I can put him down, run him down, destroy him? No, my purpose should be, my motive should be to restore him. But I got to make a judgment before I can even do that. Or if you're a member of the Otter Creek Church, maybe you should just join in an interfaith project with them. Well, that's uh, that's unfortunately the approach that a lot of people are making. But rather these, than realizing that there's a serious problem that needs to be addressed, he's in error, and he needs and he needs to be restored from that error. I can't do that if I don't make a judgment. Now, the standard for that judgment is the Word of God. Uh, Hebrews four verse twelve: The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. And as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, use that standard. Use the word of God. It's not my opinion. It's not my think so. It's not my feelings. It's what does the word of God say? And if I use that standard, Jesus said in John twelve forty eight uh, that that which will judge us in the last day is his word. All right. And finally, if we're going to do this, this is a this is going to be a sword that cuts both ways. If I'm going to make judgments, then I've got to be willing to stand by the same judgments that I exactly, exactly right. Read that text there. Romans chapter 2, two, two verses 1 and 3. Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges, wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou judges that judges do is the same thing. 
Uh, and thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things and doest the same, thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Paul says there that if you're doing the same thing and you're judging others, then you better be prepared to, to face that same judgment yourself. Exactly right. So it's right to judge. We're commanded to judge. We've got to have the right attitude and motive. We've got to use the right standard. And we have to we have to acknowledge that we would be willing to submit to the same thing. But actually, if we're thinking right, we would want the same thing. If I'm overtaken in a fault, if I'm in error, I should want someone who cares enough to come to me and say, brother, you need to repent. You need to straighten that up. That's wrong. Here's what the word says, and you're not doing what the word says. I should actually want that same treatment. And I have to be willing to accept it, uh, and that's and and so it's it, it's actually it comes full circle. All right, we need to take a break, and while we're taking the break, why not uh, give us a call toll free at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven, or send us an email to questions at collegeu dot com. We'll continue the discussion on the other side. We need to continue talking about judging and uh, ask the question: Is it right to judge the convictions and actions of others? If you haven't commented yet, join in on the discussion. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the Virtual Bible Study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Hello, my name is Kent Bumgardner. My family and I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Please join us. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. And we are back on the virtual Bible stage tonight. We appreciate you joining us. If you are just joining us, we're t- discussing the idea that we should accept everyone regardless of what they believe. You believe that the scriptures teach this. We want to talk about judging and can we say that anyone is wrong? Our society today tells us that we should be inclusive, we should be diverse, that we should embrace our differences and welcome anyone, regardless of whatever wild view they may have. Do you believe that the Scriptures teach this? We'd like to hear from you. We will make a note that if you're watching us on Ustream.tv and you are in the chat room tonight but you don't have a username, the moderation feature has been turned off. You can chat and join in the discussion without a username tonight. Just type in your comments in the box there in the chat room to join in the discussion. And we would love to hear from you on the phone at 877-381-4567 or send an email to questions at collegeview.com. Got an email from Anthony who's in Florida tonight and writes on, again, let me, let me repeat the questions we sent out to our update list. Is it right to judge the religious convictions and actions of others? That's what the article in the Tennessee was basically saying. We shouldn't do that. It's not right to do that. And we're asking the question, is it right or not? I think we've just shown some some of the scriptures, Jacob, that, that established that it's absolutely necessary to do so. And here's some of the comments we're getting from some of our listeners. Anthony writes, absolutely, we should properly judge the religious convictions and behaviors of others. Our souls depend on it. 
On some level, we all discriminate on these matters or else we would not have chosen the particular beliefs to which we hold. But aside from this, the Bible instructs us to judge religious matters. There are so many passages, and I've run out of time to list them, Matthew seven fifteen through 20, 1 John chapter 4, etc. Those are good verses that Anthony mentions, and I, I, I want to spend just a minute with that Matthew 7 passage, because that's in the same chapter as that verse that we mentioned earlier. It's so often misused, judge not that you be not judged. In the, in the immediate verses around that follow verse 1, as we were just showing it's not consistent to say that's forbidding all judging. But later in the chapter, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So I think Anthony's really hit upon an important text there. You've got to beware of false teachers. How am I going to know if they're false teachers? By their fruits. By their fruits. I've got to make a judgment. All right. So, and, then, and then Anthony also mentions 1 John 4, verse 1, which tells us to try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out in the world. I've got to try the spirits. That means I've got to make a judgment as to whether they're true to God or not. That verse also says we have got to judge. So I think Anthony is exactly right in his comments. All right. Thank you, Anthony, for those comments tonight. And Anthony is down in Florida tonight. He's in the chat room tonight under the username BizMark. And he's uh, in uh, or somewhere down on the Gulf tonight. We're glad that he's in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. So uh, good to hear from him. Eric in Fayetteville, Tennessee, has a little bit different take on this, but I think it is a valid one. He says this is not a yes or no question. Religious conviction and actions is a very broad term. Clearly, some convictions are flatly condemned in Scripture. For instance, those who deny the coming of Jesus in the flesh are deceivers and antichrist, according to Second John uh, verse 7. But yet, when it comes to other convictions, we are told not to judge. Romans chapter 14, verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. It seems to me that we have to take issues one at a time and study them to see which category they fit into. He's, he's, he's making a, maybe a distinction between a personal conviction versus uh, uh, something that would be more public. foundational doctrinal, uh, doctrinal right. issues that, that uh, uh, we all must believe in order to be saved. Uh, uh, I think you're right, Eric. I, I appreciate that clarification. And Johnny in Loretta, Tennessee, has has basically added to that thinking. I want to read what Johnny says. He says, if someone's religious conviction involves doing something blatantly against God's word, then yes, uh, for instance, stealing, killing, human sacrifices, and so forth. However, in matters that are not so clear, such as should a woman wear only a dress to church and never pants? Should you stop at a place of business on Sunday? Or could, could can you do any work on Sunday and so forth? He said, I even knew of one preacher that would not preach in, short, in a short sleeve shirt. He says, a person may be well grounded in his convictions toward matters that are, let's say, gray, but others may not have the same convictions of you. Uh, we all draw our line in the sand about some things. He says our our Amish friends uh, have religious convictions concerning modernizing. Do we judge them for that? In our past history, it was considered taboo for a man to shave off his beard. Do we judge for that? I personally wouldn't judge in gray matters. I think this discussion has already taken place in the Bible, First Corinthians chapter eight, concerning people that have convictions concerning meat that was once sacrificed to idols. I think Johnny's right. I don't think I would say it exactly like Johnny says it, but in other words, 
I know some women who it would just be beyond their uh, beyond their ability to wear pants to church services. They you know they feel strongly that they should wear a dress, and it would really bother them to wear pants, uh, and so they don't. But they don't judge another woman who might decide that she could wear pants to services and so forth. And I, if that's a matter of personal conviction. I don't think you could go to the Bible and clearly say th- that one is right and the other is wrong. I would not call it a gray matter. I call it a matter of judgment. Right. That's what I would call it. And uh, you, you, you make per, you make per judgments as well on the way you dress. You believe you ought to wear a coat and a tie on Wednesday night. And there are many members who do not wear that attire. You don't judge them for that. Uh, it is a matter of judgment and uh, and personal conviction on that. The question that Johnny mentions: Should you do any work on Sunday? I don't think the New Testament forbids working on Sunday. However, I I've, I make it a point not to mow my grass on Sunday afternoon. You know, I just I just prefer not to because you know I don't want it to raise any questions in anybody's mind, and it's just it's just judgment. And it's a, a judgment. And it is a conviction on your part, though, yeah, because yeah. you've determined this is the right thing to do. Yeah. In your judgment. Right. But you don't pass that judgment I don't and judge others. That because I couldn't go to the scriptures and say, here's the verse that proves that you have to do this. Right. 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 So both of those comments, I think that that's good clarification. Uh, he, uh, Johnny mentions the Amish who, who have convictions concerning modernizing. In other words, the, the Amish don't want to drive in a car. They're driving in a horse and buggy. Well, there's nothing wrong with riding in a horse and buggy. And I wouldn't judge them for driving the horse and buggy. I would have a problem with them binding that on And others. their conviction is well-founded. They're doing it because they don't want to be uh, tied to this world. They think it, it, it helps them to, to not to realize this world's not their home. That's a good That's a good. There's nothing reason. wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that motivation. But When the, you bind it. That's right. When we bind our personal convictions that are not provable from Scripture, then we've crossed a line. That's really not what – But and I'm glad these two – Emailers have clarified that point, Jacob. That, but that's really not what we're talking about tonight. And that's not what I intended with the question when I said, is it right to judge the religious convictions of and actions of others? I was, I was here and I should have been, uh, I should have worded that question more carefully. I'm talking about the kind of differences that were mentioned in that article. Uh, acapella singing, uh, the Lord's Supper every first day doctrinal of the week. Doctrinal issues. Doc, what we would refer to as doctrinal issues. So, uh, But I appreciate these two guys for clarifying And it's gone quiet too. in the chat room. I think we've got everyone confused. There's a lot of head scratching now. So uh, hopefully we've been clear on on our position on that. 877-381-4567 is the number to call if you are still confused and you'd like us to clarify it more. Maybe you can explain it better than you think we did. We'd like to hear from you. Or maybe you just have a comment that you'd like to make. Join in on the phone or send an email or let us hear your thoughts in the chat room. Our friend Nick in Jennings, Florida, has written in and says, Is it right to judge the religious convictions and actions of others? Yes, we are to judge righteous judgment, John seven twenty four. That's the verse that we referenced earlier, Jacob. Yes. He says, Judging righteous judgment is a matter of establishing what we do as to whether it is authorized by the Scriptures, as to whether anyone has the right to practice a certain conviction or not. Colossians three seventeen. Whatever you do in word or de- deed, do all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're looking to the scriptures for our religious authority and we find it there, then when we see people doing what is not found there, then that is the basis of this judgment. And it's it's necessary to make that judgment. All right. Thanks, hey, Nick. Thank you, Nick, for that comment. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Henry sends in this question, uh, this answer. Uh, he says, we know that our God is the ultimate judge and Christ will return for judgment. 
However, we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is, a, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So sooner or later, we will all have to give an account whether we like it or not. So all they have to do is read the word and determine their status accordingly. I think Henry's in, in Columbia, South Carolina. Thank you, Henry, for, for writing to, to add those thoughts tonight. Uh, and, and then Don in Antioch, Tennessee, has an interesting take. I thought that was interesting. Should we judge others? He said Jesus did, and they killed him for it. So if we strive to be like Jesus, it's not an option. We must make righteous judgments just as he did. If we lose friends and are shunned by family members, then that's just the way it is. Jesus didn't come to bring peace but variance. You know, I think that's a good observation. Some of these folks would have us be, and if you can imagine this expression, better than Jesus. Yeah. You know, Jesus, some of these people who who I'm afraid this minister from Otter Creek, Doug Sanders from the Otter Creek Church in, in Brentwood, Tennessee, would have been very uncomfortable with the way Jesus addressed the religious people of his day because Jesus was condemning them for their ungodliness. Exactly. And uh, so I appreciate uh, uh, that uh, comment. You know, uh, people today who believe that they are more open-minded than Christ. Christ was just too narrow-minded, and we have to be more open-minded and more enlightened than our Savior. So uh, certainly is the common thought today. We're going to take a break and get this week's bullet point. And on the other side of the bullet point would be a great time for you to join in the discussion over the phone or over the email tonight. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. There is no debate. All agree. The evidence is abundantly clear. We are the richest people who have ever lived in the history of the world. We are more prosperous than any society that has ever existed, and we are more materially blessed than any other people living today. These indisputable facts should prompt several necessary responses from us. First, thanksgiving. We should never imagine that all of this abundance has resulted from our own initiative and effort. Instead, we must realize that our unique situation has resulted from many things done by others that have preceded us. Ultimately, God deserves the credit for every good gift. James 1:17. Be thankful. Secondly, we ought to be benevolent. John said in 1 John 3, verse 17, Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? In our prosperity, let us not forget to look for opportunities to do good unto all men. Galatians 6, verse 10. Surely God will not hold us guiltless if we hoard our wealth and refuse to assist the legitimately needy. Thirdly, liberality. In the episode of the widow's might, recorded in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, Jesus commended the widow for her sacrificial giving while noting that others had only given of their abundance. What about us? In regards to our giving to the Lord's work, are we sacrificial? Or do we only give what's left over after we have spent for everything else that we want? And finally, caution. Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. If there ever was a people that need this warning, it's us. There's a great danger that we'll begin to measure our life by money and things instead of recognizing the true value of our spiritual service to God. Be careful. Don't let prosperity cause you to set the wrong priorities in your life. God must be first, always. Our great prosperity poses tremendous challenges to us all. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the virtual Bible study. 
For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And the virtual Bible study does continue on your computer tonight, and we're glad that we are on your computer. We're looking forward to hearing from you on the phone at 877-381-4567 or over email at questions at collegeview.com. As we discuss diversity and and, uh, the idea that we need to be open-minded and inclusive. Should we accept anybody regardless of what they are practicing? Let us know your thoughts on the program tonight. We got a comment. John made a comment in the chat room just a little ways back there. I'm I'm scrolling up just a little bit. Uh, But uh, he mentions a phrase that some are using in the church now when they ask the question, is it a salvation issue? And John, you may you may want to get back in there and, and clarify your thoughts on this, but I think I know what you're talking about. The implication is there's just a small core of essential beliefs that we have to hold to, and that core gets smaller over time. Yeah, so, yeah, they keep shrinking. Well, well, that. We just have to believe there's a God, really. Some people. Well, don't. yeah, actually, uh, when you said that, uh, this article in the Tennessean quoted Rubel Shelley, and I think the name Rubel Shelley will mean something to a lot of people who are listening tonight. Rubel Shelley uh, was formerly a minister of the Woodmont Hills Church in Nashville, very out there congregation. He's now the president of Rochester College in Michigan. And he says that churches of Christ will have to adapt in the future or lose their effectiveness. The notion that people in the 21st century are going to find their identity in a particular denomination is getting more and more unlikely. He says the issue increasingly is, do you believe in God or not? Mm-hmm. And if you believe in God, do you believe in the God as he is represented in Jesus or as he is represented in Allah or in Buddhism? Do you get that? Shelley is basically saying the only thing that really matters is, do you believe in God? And do you believe in God as he was manifested through Jesus Christ? Do you believe in God and Jesus Christ, his son? And that's that's and it seems that the belief in Jesus may be a little bit even optional in his view. And it is in certain in many people's view yeah. uh, today. And and so, boy, they've really shrunk the core of necessary beliefs. But this this idea that, uh, you know, you only have to believe this core, this these core principles, these salvation issues. And that's all that matters. Well, I, I believe that it'd be fair to say that anything that we can show definitively from the Scripture as being the truth of God, that is a necessary thing to believe in practice. It's a salvation issue. Jesus it becomes said, a salvation issue. If it's truth, then we've got to believe it. Jesus said in Luke 6.46, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So it is a salvation issue if Jesus said to do it and we don't do it. Exactly right. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Join in the chat room tonight. We've got a couple of other emails that we haven't gotten to yet. One is from Wade in Hampshire, Tennessee, and says uh, when he, he references Acts 17, 22 through 26, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by humans' hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Now, Wade comments 
He says, it, it appears to me that in this passage, Paul is speaking to someone that does not agree with him in his religion. As a matter of fact, Paul visited many throughout his journeys that did not share his views. Paul, therefore, had to have been an isolationist. If Paul was an isolationist, then that's what I want to be, too. In other words, Wade is making the point. He he, he illustrates it from the case in Athens. That's what Paul did everywhere he went. He found He found people who were... Involved in religion, but they weren't in true religion. weren't in They weren't correct, and he addressed them and corrected them. And so, if Paul was an isolationist, that's not a Bible word. But if that's what these people want to call that, then yeah, that's what we need to be. That we need to be like Paul was. And they were worshiping an unknown God, and that's the one that Jesus, uh, that Paul wanted to explain to them. So, in many people's mind today, in the ecumenical mind of many today, they would have been okay. We should have embraced uh, those people. Okay, I think that covers all of the emails that we got on that first question, Jacob. Our first question, just to summarize, um, is it right to judge others in matters of religion? And our conclusion, not from our own opinion or think so or our own personal practice, our conclusion based upon the word of God is that it's a necessary thing. It's not even an optional thing. It's a necessary thing. We must make such judgments. And to fail to do that is to fail to, first of all, imitate the example of Jesus. Jesus judged the religious people of his day. Uh, so we wouldn't be like, if we fail to do that, we wouldn't be like Jesus. And we'd be directly disobeying his instructions. John, a key verse there, I, if you don't have that one highlighted in your Bible, you ought to highlight John seven twenty four. Judge righteous judgment. It's a command to judge. All right. So appreciate those comments. If you disagree... Now would be a great time for you to join in the discussion. There may be someone who disagrees with us. Again, we are not looking for a fight. We'd like to hear from you and your point of view. Let us know your thoughts as we discuss uh, the idea that we need to be more inclusive and we need to accept those who we would disagree with religiously. Jacob, let's go to let's go to the second question in which we ask, you know, what? How would you answer if someone asked you? And we get this question a lot. And I, but my guess is that other religious people may get the same question too. But certainly members of the Church of Christ are frequently asked, do you really think that you that members of your group are the only ones that are going to heaven? That was the second question that we posed to our email update list. What's the proper response to someone who asks you, do you think your group is the only one going to heaven? You know, it's one of those questions that people think really proves something, but it really doesn't prove anything at all. Uh, the answer to that question, whether it be yes or no, what, what does it prove? You know, people use that to show, well, you must be wrong if you think that you're the only ones going to heaven. Does that what does that prove? Yeah, no, in other words, uh, if 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 I was wrong for doing that, it doesn't. What I, I don't. It it's an. It's sort of like the man. Uh, what about the man in the desert who wants to be baptized? And what do you think about that? Well, that proves I don't have to be baptized yeah. because the man in the desert might not be able to. Yeah. Uh, the the first point we would make uh, in response to this question is we got to decide who's the judge. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yeah, I judge not my own self. He that judges me is the Lord. And so Paul was saying, it really doesn't matter what I think. If I think I'm the only one going to heaven and you're not going to heaven, it, what matters is what does God say? What is his uh, 
truth on the matter of who's going to heaven. Your opinion, my opinion, anybody else's opinion is not critical. It, the, the critical matter is what does God say? So He's the judge. And that is the first thing we need to, to establish here is that there will be a judgment and there will be a standard that we'll be judged by. That's something that's unpopular in our society today. People don't want to admit that. But Jesus said very clearly in John twelve forty eight, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. There will be a judgment, and there will be an absolute and fixed standard for that judgment. Exactly right. And so that's what matters. The Lord is the judge. The word that he has spoken will be the standard, and it's going to be according to his gospel. Now, having said that, Jacob, I think I think we should point out that it's pretty clear that not everybody who thinks he is saved is going to be saved. There are a lot of deceived people in the religious world. And to emphasize that, we might look at Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount. We've already, in fact, tonight we've already been in Matthew chapter 7, but a couple of interesting verses, verses 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Jesus said, Jesus said, this is not us saying this, Jesus said, the minority will be saved. The majority will be lost. But contrast that with all kinds of polls that that are taken. You go out and ask people, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? All those polls that I've ever heard, ninety over 90% of the people polled will say, yes, they're going to heaven. The majority thinks they're saved. Jesus said they're not right. Jesus said it's a minority that will find the straight and narrow way that leads to heaven. And uh, then we contrast that with what those of the Otter Creek Church believe in the Church of Christ, we had all the answers, and if we had all the answers and it meant everyone else didn't, it was kind of embarrassing to admit it, but that's the way it was. Yeah. Jesus says there will just be a few. Now, we're not saying that we've got all the answers. But uh, Jesus identified that the majority will not be saved. Yeah. Uh, in that same chapter, Matthew 7, verses, beginning verse 21, he even said there will be a lot of religious people who won't be saved. Notice how he said this in Matthew 7, beginning verse 21. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. These were believers in the Lord Jesus, and they were active religiously. Now, I want to tell you, by the standards set in that in that uh, article, in the Nashville, Tennessee, and the folks at Otter Creek, Rubel Shelley at Rochester College in Minnesota, if you identified somebody who says, and I said, let me ask you about this person. They are a believer in Jesus Christ, and they're active religiously. How do you think they would, what, what, what do you think would be their determination of that person? Hey, if they're sincere and, and they're dedicated, we ought to be welcoming, we ought to be open, have open arms, and we ought to be able to... In, be inclusive. inclusive. You've got to be inclusive. Don't be an isolationist. We yeah. can't we can't be isolationist. We've got to be inclusive of such people. What did Jesus say? Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity or lawlessness. They so, were they were dedicated, they were believers, and yet they were still lost. And so there again, we've got these these folks, and there are so many of them in the religious world today, who who imagine themselves to be better than Jesus was. I mean, if you ask them that, they'd be they'd be appalled. At, at 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 that conclusion, but that's the conclusion you have to draw. Absolutely right. Uh, and, and of course, we know that the Bible teaches the ones who are going to be saved. The ones who are going to be saved are those who hear the truth and believe it, repent of their sins, and confess their faith in Jesus, and are baptized. 
That's what we often refer to as the gospel plan of salvation. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Uh, in Acts 2, 47, the Lord adds to the church, those who are saved. So if, if you, when you believe and are baptized, you're saved. And then the Lord adds the saved to the church. Then that identifies who's in the church. The saved people are in the church. The, the church, the true church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, includes those who have been obedient to his commands and have done the things necessary to have the forgiveness of sins. To those comments, though, Sharon adds, I wonder if we sometimes lull ourselves into thinking because we are members of a congregation that is doing a good work, we will go to heaven as a group. Well, no, uh, and I think we're, I think uh, I want to, let's hold comment on that. I think some of our emails are going to address that. No, we're just because I'm in a group of people who have done the right thing doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to be saved. And just because I may have been saved at one point does not mean that I can't be uh, lost in the future should I turn my back to the Lord. Exactly right. And we could comment on that, you know, that, in other words, the saved are added to the church. The true saved uh, who've obeyed the gospel are added to the true church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that they will necessarily remain in a saved condition. Second Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 20, uh, talks about some who, it says, have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. And so from that passage, we conclude that you got to do the right things to be saved and added to the Lord's church. But that doesn't mean that you will necessarily, even at that point, still be guaranteed of heaven. If you become unfaithful, you could lose that saved relationship with the Lord. All right. We're going to take a break and then go to the top of the hour as we discuss the question, are you the only ones going to heaven? If you're not joined in on the discussion, join in the chat room, send an email. Better yet, give us a call. We look forward to hearing from you. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello everyone, I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study. You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the program. We're going to the top of the hour as we discuss the question, are you the only ones going to heaven? 
Now, that that was the follow-up question that we had. We talked first about whether we can judge or should judge others religiously. Now we want to ask. We're, we're dealing with the question: Who who's the ones going to heaven? Are you? Are, do you believe your group's the only one going to heaven? Anthony writes in the email. He says this is a really important question. Uh, he says, not sure if I can do justice in the amount of time I have, but he says we are not the only ones going to heaven. The only ones going we quotation marks are not the only ones going to heaven. The only ones going to heaven are those who obey the gospel as outlined in the New Testament. Those are who are added to the church. The church is not an earthly earthly organization per se. It's a spiritual kingdom. I think that's the point that we want to stress. We, you know, this idea, your group, and some of the other emailers are going to comment on the idea of whose group is it. Uh, we believe that the ones who are going to heaven are the ones who are doing what the Bible says you must do in order to receive God's blessing, the forgiveness of sins, and eternal salvation. We believe that, that the scriptures convey conditions that we must meet. It's it's a gift, Romans 6.23 says, but oftentimes gifts have necessary conditions attached. Jacob, if, if I told you, uh, if you'll come to my house tomorrow at 1230, I'll give you $50. Well, if you came at 1230, in other words, I'm not going to give you the money if you don't come to my house. But if you came and at the time I specified and I gave you $50, you'd still consider it a gift. Although you had to meet certain conditions in order to receive the gift, you would still call it a gift. You would tell somebody, look what Greg gave me. It's a gift, even though you had to do something or meet a condition in order to receive it. And that's the way it is with salvation. Salvation from past sins is contingent upon hearing the truth, believing it, repenting of our sins, confessing our faith in Jesus, and being baptized for the remission of sins. But it's still a gift of God. Rhonda in Oklahoma City says gifts can come with requirements attached. And if someone who's uh, some uh, student who's trying to get funding for college may get a grant, which is a gift, but there are stipulations uh, placed upon that, and there are certain requirements that must be met in order to qualify for that grant. And what we're saying about salvation is it is a gift from God as a result of his grace, and it is uh, through faith that we uh, receive that salvation. But there are uh, stipulations required in order to to receive that gift. Wade in Hampshire, Tennessee, says, My response is anyone that does what the Bible tells us to do is going to go to heaven. As we all know, uh, as we all know, it's it's not a matter of what you call yourself. Obedience is the criteria to the that the Bible requires, uh, and I think that's the point. The ones who are going to heaven are the ones who do, who do what Jesus said we have to do in order to go to heaven. All right, I think Eric hit the nail on the head uh, exactly here. He says it's important for people to understand that there are only two possibilities: either you believe that absolutely everyone is going to heaven. Or you believe that only a certain group of people is going to heaven. Most will agree that it is the latter. Once we lay that groundwork, then we can begin to define who it is that will be saved. It is those who obey God's word. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is obedient, nor will they all be saved. I think that's a great point. Uh, you, you talk to everybody will draw the line somewhere. You know, even even the folks that, that uh, were in that article that spurred our study tonight, they would draw the line somewhere. Everybody draw. Now, I think they're getting that line far, a lot farther out as time goes on. They're 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 willing to extend yeah. this this circle of saved people farther and farther. But even they would draw the line somewhere. Well, if you're going to draw the line somewhere, 
where are you going to draw it? Does, is it just subjective where you want to? And you, you draw your line where you want to. I'll draw mine where I want to. That's just that's that's unworkable, obviously, right? But everyone will draw a line somewhere. And so the the only right place to draw the line is where the Scripture draws the line. Right. Let let it identify who's going to heaven, and and so study it, learn it, apply it, and then we'll know who's going to heaven. The ones who do what the Bible says are the ones who are going to heaven. All right. Um, got an email from uh, Don in Antioch who says. If someone says, "Do you do you think your group's the only one going to heaven?" He he said, "I would first shout aloud, yes. Second, I would explain that all who profess to be Christians had better believe that they are the only ones going because this is what nails it down and identifies the true faith that we should all be seeking." Uh, next, I would ask what is meant by group and suggest a, a Bible study on Romans eight twenty eight thirty one uh, and so forth. Uh, I think Don is saying what the others are saying. Yes. Uh, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be a part of that group. If I, I believe that there are there are certain ones going to heaven. I want to be in that group, and therefore, yes, I believe that I am in a uh, in a group of people who have common ideals. Now, to what Sharon mentioned in the in the chat room earlier, we're not going to heaven because we're part of that group. But yes, I I, I fellowship with a group of people on purpose by decision because I believe that they have. Come to the scripture with the same principles of understanding that I have. We're trying to understand the word and make application of it. Uh, and so hopefully I'm in in a group that is following the word of God. But I understand my judgment will be individual. Uh, John also references Romans 8 verses 28 through 31 there in his uh, effort to show that God has predestined certain ones that he wants well, that, to be saved what he's saying. and certain ones that he wants to be lost. And we understand the scriptures teach exactly the opposite of that. We've talked with Don about that in the past. First so. Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 tells us that God wants all to be saved. He wants all to be in that group. Uh, and speaking of God, in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, who have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And we may talk about that again on a, on a virtual It'll be worthwhile, yeah. yeah. Uh, Johnny in Loretta, Tennessee says the proper response would be, when someone says, do you think your group is the only one going to heaven? Uh, he was. He says, of course not, and I'm not sure what he means by that, but he goes on to say the only ones going to heaven are the saved. Now the question is, who are the saved? Uh, he says, Jesus knows his sheep, and one day he will call his sheep. When that day arrives, then we will know who's going to heaven. As far as a group, I seriously doubt that all of my group is going to heaven. Sorry to be blunt, but I doubt that all of yours is going either. The, the road is narrow if you find it. My heart's desire is that all go to heaven. My summary statement to the person that asked would be, are you going to heaven? Uh, we go to heaven one at a time on an individual basis, not as a group. Uh, I agree with that, uh, what, what Johnny is saying there. All right. And then we got a longer uh, response and a thoughtful one from Aaron in Texas. Uh, he says, now again, do you think your group is the only one going to heaven? He says, I would answer No. Then I'd have to ask them to clarify what they mean by your group. The only group that you could associate me with is the local congregation where I am a member. And I certainly don't think that only people from that group will be in heaven. If they say that they think my group is the Church of Christ, then I'd have to explain what I believe that term means. It means all the saved people throughout the world whose congregations might or might might or might not wear that particular name. So asking if the Church of Christ is the only group going to heaven is like asking whether saved people are the only ones going to heaven. It's almost redundant. 
Technically, I am more permissive than that since I believe that all people who die before becoming accountable are going to go to heaven even though they aren't members of the church because they're not guilty of sin. So I have to admit that there are some people not in the church who will be in heaven. Now, I would not be declaring the whole counsel of God if that were all of my answer. I would have to go further and say that I believe that most modern-day churches do not teach and practice what the Bible teaches with regard to how one can be saved. And so I believe that members who follow the teachings of those churches are on the broad way that leads to destruction. And in fact, there may be lots of churches who have adopted the name Church of Christ who don't follow the Bible either, and their name doesn't give them a go-to-heaven free pass. I would try to wrap up my answer by saying that I imagine that the questioner and I believe something similar, that those who follow the Bible go to heaven and those who don't will not. But if churches are teaching thousands of contradictory things about the Bible, they can't all be right. Uh, he says, incidentally, there are other denominations who use the term Church of Christ to refer to the universal body of the saved as well. Uh, my copy of the Methodist Discipline uses that term in exactly that way, for example. So I'm not just playing word games when I say that the Church of Christ is nothing more than the group of all the saved. There's no denomination whose congregations have to be somehow accredited to join the Church of Christ club. As always, Aaron's got a, a, a very thoughtful explanation there and brought out some things that we hadn't covered in regards to, uh, you know, m- Maybe a person who dies before reaching accountability, they would be a saved person. And, but, but the Bible would identify them as a saved person. And so the, I think the bottom line answer to that question, do you think that you're the only ones going to heaven? And I've been asked that question plenty of times. You have too, Jacob. I think especially members of the churches of Christ get that question pretty frequently. And the answer, I think the right answer is we believe that those who do what the Bible says are the ones who are going to heaven. And we're trying to be in that number. That's right. And if we were to think that we weren't in that number, we need to change. And uh, we would definitely want to be in that group because, as you said, those who will be saved are those who are in a right relationship with God. And uh, Sharon in Oklahoma City says, uh, how about those who are followers of God in the Old That's Testament Rhonda, time? Rhonda I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Rhonda did. Uh, she said they'll be there, too. Yeah. So, so there's there's some more who will be in, in heaven that are not members of the Church of Christ. They they were they were among the saved of Old Testament times. That's a good observation, too. All right. Well, uh, we've had a good discussion. The time has gone fast, and uh, there certainly are some things we could continue to discuss if we had more time. But I think that we... I've had a good discussion tonight. And again, our, our discussion was prompted by this article in the Nashville Tennessean uh, from a couple weeks ago. Uh, we invited uh, Doug Sanders, the preacher for the Otter Creek Church of Christ in Nashville, to participate in our program tonight, and he declined to do so. He wants to be open and inclusive of everybody, but I guess except us. Uh, but that I think we still are able to analyze the position he holds as represented by that article. All right. Well, we appreciate everyone for being out there and some good comments in the chat room tonight as well. We have not gotten to get chat room's been really busy tonight, wide open. Yeah, we haven't gotten to all of them tonight, but we appreciate you being out there, and I'm sure the listeners have benefited from your discussion in the chat room tonight. Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Enjoyed it. And we did enjoy it, and we hope that you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the virtual Bible study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.